Hi there, uh, it's Hannah Flint here. This is the Pop Cultured Podcast. Um, this is the fifth episode and I've got a wonderful guest on today. It's uh, Bola Agbaji. Um, she is a fantastic playwright. Um, she's been in the industry for 10 years. Uh, she's won an Olivier Award for uh, Gone Too Far, her yeah. first ever play which is amazing. You've done several other plays since then, uh, Belong, you did Take a Deep Breath and Breathe, um, and now you're kind of trying to transition in into film and TV, and we're going to talk all about it. Hi, Bola, thank you so much for coming around. Hello, Hannah, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for coming to my house as well. I've, I, I provided peanut butter M&M's, so everyone's, like, happy. <laughs> so when we were trying to organise this podcast, it's taken a while because you've been like so busy you've been to LA you've been having deadlines like tell me what's going on no like this year is you know what they always say be careful what you wish for <laughs> like because you just might get it like this year has been super super busy from the get-go um yeah like I'm developing a tv show my own tv show with Sky Atlantic um called Past of Elizabeth which is a 10-part drama about a woman who um she's taken over the church her church an african church from her husband who's going to nigeria and so i've been working with a production company on it and we've been going back and forth with my pilot trying to get make sure that the pilot's right as well as um i'm also a writer on riviera so i'm writing on season two um i'm writing episode eight so all of that's kind of come all together at the same time and so like the deadlines are all like close <laughs> to each other um and then i'm writing a feature film um an adaptation of a book called an african in greenland and um yeah i'm on my third draft of that so literally when we were trying to get this podcast together <laughs> like it's like back-to-back deadlines and i'm the worst when it comes to deadlines because I always kind of, I always have this week where I should be doing something, but I don't. And then afterwards I start to realize that, oh my gosh, like, oh my God, like on Friday, I've got to hand this in. And then on Monday, I've got to hand that in. And like, I work better under pressure, but then I also stress under pressure. So I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, like, why did I say yes? Why did I say I can hand something in on Friday? Like, and then I start to kind of just look, I lock myself in my room at home and just like, I can't speak to anyone. I can't do anything until I get this done. <laughs> I totally get that. I'm such a procrastinator. I think sometimes... I'm the worst. And social yeah. media is like the I'm thing. on Twitter all the time. Yeah, like I'll wake up in the morning with all this energy and like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to do this. Like, I'm going to start writing and I get all my paperwork together. And then I'm like, oh, just quickly go on Twitter just to catch up. And I can spend like an hour on Twitter and like go from Twitter to Instagram. And now that Snapchat's not really the thing, so kind of like I've eliminated one so <laughs> but like at the same time like I'm still stuck on like Twitter and and Instagram but do you think so for me I mean we 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 met on Twitter yeah completely. we've met for yeah, the first yeah. time right now amazing but we 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 I think it was through probably Dominic who was on the last podcast I saw maybe we saw each other tweeting retweeting or something yeah, like retweet that your stuff, yeah. and then it's just it, I mean how about you because I found that Twitter has been an amazing kind of uh, place for me to obviously connect with other people and like speak to and create more work and how's that been for you has it been an amazing networking tool it has actually like it's given me I don't know it's so weird because like people in the industry that know me always go Twitter's your place to rant about the industry and I'm like <laughs> I don't want people to think that I'm a ranter like it's not that I rant but you know but it's yeah it's the space where I think that it's really weird because people that do like who have known me since I started have always like you know it's really nice because people will go oh you're so successful you've achieved so much but then 
I'm like, yes, I've achieved so much, but there's so much more I need to achieve. And mm. there's so like the struggle is real. And so I don't want to be one of those people that, that because I've got a commission and because I'm working with a certain production company or I'm working with a certain theater, that things are all rosy. Like, I don't want to lie to people, especially like people who are coming up yeah. after me because the greatest gift that I had when I first started was someone like Roy Williams, who's another playwright, who pulled me aside and was like, you know, when I was getting all these accolades and people were so excited and he pulled me aside and was just like, look, you know, you've got to be grounded and um, they love you on your first thing, but it's the second thing that counts mm. and they need to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to the second commission and the third commission. And so he's always kind of was someone that guided me through the industry as a playwright. And so... But there wasn't that many other people that did that, apart from Roy Williams and, like, a few other actors, like Noma Demezueni. Like, you know, there were a group of, like, the a generation who just above me who would guide me a little bit. However, then... But I'm like, who else? Who else is there? Especially in terms of, like, female playwrights or mm. writers. Who else was there for me to lean on? And so when the younger generation kind of go... I don't know how to do this. What do I do? Like, I'm always like, I need to keep it real. Like, I don't want people to assume that it's going to be a bed, a bed of roses as soon as you get your first play on or as soon as you get your first TV commission. Like, for, you know, a woman of colour, like, it's mm. it's a struggle and the struggle's constantly... It's, it's constant. It doesn't change. Like, even after all the accolades, someone's still going to go, you need to prove yourself. You need to do better. Like, yeah. I don't know if we can take a chance on you. It's so it's so funny you say that because I think it was Ava DuVernay who, you know, who, you know, you started when you were 27, was it, when you yeah, got that? Yeah. Um, Ava DuVernay says she picked up a camera for the first time when she was 31, 32. And then she did an interview just before A Wrinkle in Time came out. And she says, even though she's, you know, I think she was an Oscar winner. She got Oscar nominated. No, nominated. Yeah. Nominated. Yeah. Um, She's done amazing films and amazing work. She's just like one of the the one the fourth woman to ever direct a movie over a hundred million. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she says that she still doesn't feel that she's safe. Like she's yeah, secure. Not, and she's not Guy Ritchie. Yeah, <laughs> and you're not safe. Like there is still the sense that like we still have to prove ourselves because also like whatever your project is. There's always a sense, and I don't know if people even do it consciously, but sometimes, like, it does feel like this thing has to work because we're putting all our eggs in the um the basket and we're we're taking a risk on you, and you're always reminded that you're a risk. So because people constantly go, you're a risk, we're taking this risk because mm. we like you, there's always that sense that if this doesn't work out, you're not going to get a second chance. So you have to make it happen and you have to make it work. And so... I'm constantly vocal about things like that because I'm just like, well, I, I you know, I'm constantly fighting for equality. I, I want to be treated like my peers. Like, I want to be treated the same. And mm. if I fail and I don't do well, if someone else has been given an opportunity to work and get better, then I should also be given that same opportunity. And I feel like sometimes the industry doesn't give you that opportunity. And so it takes longer as well mm. for you to, like... For someone like me, I've fought so long. The reason why I haven't got a TV credit at the moment is because... I've constantly gone through those battles of, you know, pitching ideas, people not liking it, but also people going, oh, you know, it's got a black lead, this isn't going to work. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, or oh, this story, we don't know if it's big enough or if it's global, if you're telling a global story. And instead of compromising, I've always been like, okay, cool, you don't want to make that idea, I'll go away and think of another idea. Whereas if I had compromised and if I had, you know, done... There were certain situations where if I'd done what they told me to do, I know I would have been further along the line than I am now. But I'm, I'm here to make a change as well. So yeah. 
my my battle is because I don't want to compromise. You know, I think as well, like you, you know, if any, who's going to tell the stories if if you don't? You yeah, know, we, I mean, uh, from your your plays, it's a lot about your own experience, your own cultural experience, um, and it it feels like I mean I think it's mad because it, I mean when you started out like you know ten years ago, I mean it's changed a bit now. Obviously with Black Panther now, suddenly mm-hmm. it's like oh wait people of colour sell movies oh my god um, but only in America funny enough like yeah. here like I assumed and, and I did say to a friend of mine like I was like I wonder if people are going to start having meetings where people are going to be like oh, we need to make the next Black Panther because in America yeah. that's like oh they definitely are they're, they're aren't definitely they? like and even if they don't say it they're thinking it they're kind of open to the idea of creating a show that has an all black cast because they know that there's a potential to make money whereas here there are there's still crickets like there still is a sense that mm. like, and also it's even slightly frustrating because there are crickets to a point where sometimes you'll go into a meeting and they'll turn around and say they haven't seen black panther and that happens even with get out like get out was such a social phenomenon oh my God, yeah and like you know the because of the way that it resonated with an audience and because of what it did like in terms of social media and how people were talking about it and how well it did in the box office you would assume that people who work in the industry would get out of their seats and rush and go and see it and i can tell you last year the amount of meetings that i went into and 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 they'll go oh what's your favorite film and i'll be like get out and they'll be like oh yeah i heard it was amazing and i'll just look like yeah so you're not gonna go and make the effort to go and see why it was amazing like there is no attempt to kind of go okay yeah. i understand that this thing may not be the thing that i create however let me go and see how it works so that i can understand why there is an audience for it whereas there are people in this industry that just don't want things to change so they're not going to mm. make that effort to go and see black panther or get out it's interesting because you know again you said about the uk and um i i noticed this on like kind of british tv where it feels like there aren't really many opportunities there or stories that have been told i mean Look at like Broadchurch, which is like popular TV show. I mean, I think there was like who is it? Jacob Jacob Anderson, who was like the only person of color in the first yeah. series. Yeah. Then they got like Lenny Henry in. But then even I think it was Mira Siali said, the problem is when they do these period dramas, is they only show a certain period and they only show yeah. the white period. Like, where are the opportunities where people of color can play roles where they're not a servant? They're not. But where the opportunities, like writers like myself, pitch they don't want to tell. Yeah, they don't want to tell those stories. Unfortunately, like I remember um, once I was like having a moment, and I was like, you know what? If I put out on Twitter every single TV idea that I pitched that got turned down, and the reasons why they got turned down, like it could either go two ways. People could just be like, understand the battles Mm. that we're facing, but also I could literally be blackballed out of the (laughs) industry. Like, because like, it is a real problem. Like there isn't, you know, like now people are going, only this year I've heard stories of people going, oh, we need to get out. We need that, you know, that black horror that does this, that's got the social commentary. Mm. Do you have any ideas that are like similar to get out? Like now people are having those conversations, but I know loads of writers who pitched a story like get out in the UK, who've got nowhere. crickets and so you're constantly having to it's you know we always talk about this it's the gatekeepers until the gatekeepers change things Mm. aren't going to really really be moving along because us lot at the bottom who are trying to kind of break through the industry and kind of break through the doors we are pitching those ideas and we are trying to get in but if the people at the top aren't opening those doors then what can you do really so going back to when you first started out how i mean that's such an amazing like you won that was it a grant you got invited to be on the writers program no so what happened was i um i was one of the first students of identity drama which is the drama school for it was at the time for 
black actors run by Femi Ogans um, and now it's a huge drama school that's oh, got John yeah. Boyega Malachi Kirby who was in one of like, your plays recently um, was it ages ago? ago like years ago yeah yeah one of his first plays um, we did this season at the Tri-School Theatre called um, the Not Black and White Season so it was myself Roy Williams and Kwame um, who we all each wrote a play and it was like a um, we used the same cast so it was an ensemble cast oh wow um, and so we both had like no all three of us had two weeks each um, for our plays like a run and so John was like one of the cast members John Boyega and Melamine um, Jimmy Akinbola um, Sharon Duncan uh, Brewster did I say her name? Oh my God. Yeah, I did say her name. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I got her name wrong. Hey man, we had this conversation before we started the podcast. <laughs> no, like, I'm like, let me just not mess up people's names because um, it's so disrespectful. But, um, yeah, so like, we all had, and that was John's, one of John's first plays um, that he was involved in at the time. Um, and and it was through the Not Black and White season that a casting director saw him um, and then he got invited to come and wow. get casted for um, Attack the Block. Which is fat? Is that yeah. jo- is that a Joe Cornish? I feel like that's yeah, Joe it was, Cornish. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, that's and it was um, casting director Nina Gold that had seen him at the Tricycle Theatre yeah. and then casted him in that. That's fantastic. So a lot of like yeah. the same way that a lot of like writers came through theatre, a lot of like especially young black British talent, a lot mm. of them came through theatre. Um, and so yeah, so I so. John, I'm um, not John. Um, Femi and I, we both used to work in um, Topshop, Oxford Street. Year, oh my year, god, year, I worked in Topshop, Oxford Street. But what year did you work? Oh, in? I worked there. Like on, 2000 I, and something. Actually, it was like two. It was it was about seven years ago. Oh I worked. I was in store two. Oh, was you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I was like terrified. Oh my like, god. Right, and yeah. how annoying was it that they wouldn't give you discount on tops? Did you have this? Oh no, we had discounts on top. Maybe we Do you remember when they wanted t-shirts. Like we even also got a free travel card, like zone one to six. Oh my an god! Card. And then what would happen is that once you leave, you're meant to give the travel card back, but like people wouldn't. And sometimes, like yeah, Topshop days were like really interesting. But yeah, I worked in Topshop when I was, I think like 23, 24. Um, and jo- um, Femi worked there. He worked in Top Man. Um, so we were friends through Topshop and. And so he had just come out of RADA and he was slightly frustrated about, you know, the fact that he had finished RADA and like he wasn't going up for stuff. So he said, you know, we were talking about acting and stuff. I was like, I want to be an actor. He was just like, oh, I've set up this drama school. You should come. So I started getting to identity drama school. It was so new. Like it was like there was about 20 of us, I think, at the time. Like it was a small class. It was at the Arcola Theatre in um, East London. And um, because it was new we didn't really know what we were doing, you know, like everyone was still finding their feet. Um, but what we, through that drama school, through the experience, I found out that there was just never any, like anytime we were doing plays, we were doing plays by white playwrights and right. we were doing roles that weren't specific for us. So out of that frustration, it got to a point where in 2005 or six, I think it was, I was just like, I just can't do this anymore. Like I want to be an actor, but I want to read a play or be in something where the character has a similar background to me, has yeah. a name like me. Like, I'm not the first baller to arrive in the UK. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there are so many of us with African names and African parents, but are British. And I just felt that that experience was never ever on page or on screen. And so um, I left drama school thinking, okay, you know what? I'm just going to write myself into a play. Um, but then I didn't know what to do and I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> so um, I Googled writers courses and the Royal Court were doing a young writers program which was actually specific for black and Asian writers so 
it's really weird because sometimes like over the years when journalists have spoken about it they always talk about oh I did the Young Writers Programme because there was other like you know famous writers now mm. who did that like Lucy Pebble um, yeah. and stuff like that and like people always go oh you did the Young Writers but actually no I did the um, Critical Mass which was for like a call out for young black and Asian writers and I think that if I didn't if it wasn't a call out for young black and Asian writers, I don't know if I would have been confident enough to kind of just go out there and like apply. So I think it's really important sometimes that those courses do exist because that course spoke to me and then I applied and I did it. And so it was a 10 week course. And through that course was where I wrote my first play gone too far. And then just all of a sudden I was a writer. Oh man. It's interesting. It's it's mad, isn't it? Because, you know, there's all this idea about like tokenism and like you know um, what the, what's it called when like shortlists making sure that um, you know they're basically yeah, making like sure positive positive like, like, yeah, like yeah. yeah and it just and it feels like you know when I was when you have an industry like this and there's I think you know you did something with Maxine Peake recently and she spoke oh, yeah, she yeah. spoke about this about she's from the north mm-hmm. right and if you're not from London right it's really hard to get into acting it's getting to writing even journalism actually and like yeah i mean when i did my journalism course like everyone was basically kind of middle class kind of it's quite expensive really, you yeah, know it's expensive, and yeah. and it's kind of you these opportunities allow people who might not have um been able to afford it or been but thought that though, could... i mean that was my first time going to the royal court theater like i didn't even know what the royal court theater <laughs> yeah. was or where it was like and i remember i like even to today i i still remember the feeling of walking into the theater and like you get there's a stairs there's the stairs and there's a little bookshop and then the bars downstairs and like it's so intimidating because you go in there and like there aren't people that look like you so there yeah. is also a part of you that goes am I allowed here? Is this space for me? And then you kind of go to yourself, oh, I should be allowed here. Like, it's an open space. It's for everybody. Mm. And I only discovered that there because I needed to go there because they had a writing course. If I didn't know, if they didn't have that writing course, then I wouldn't know that that place was for me. And ever since I've done that, like, I go to the theatre, I go to loads of different spaces. But even working in the industry, like going to like the BFI or BAFTA, there were a lot of times where I'll say to people, oh yeah, like if you want to have a meeting with me, let, let's meet at BAFTA because like I'm an associate member there or let's meet at the BFI and mm. people are like, where's that? What's that? And you're just like, it's so sad because yeah. it's like those doors should be open for everybody. And I know that obviously like BAFTA's a club, so that's slightly unique and different, but they do loads of events. Like I'm, yeah. especially when I meet like young actors, I'm always like to them, sign up to the BAFTA, um, you know, um, list yeah. or whatever like the main in this like because they do courses they do um screenings like you want to be a part if you want to be in the industry like you have to be aware of like who the key players in this mm. industry is and so but then at the same time their job is that they need to reach out to people like us because yeah. i know how many people who from coming to see my play have been inspired to go and write their own play like someone like rachel delahaye mm. who you know i remember the day when she emailed me and seen gone too far or read gone too far and was just like oh my god i didn't even know that like a black woman could write a play this is what i want to do i think i want to be a playwright i'm going to go and join the course do you think i should and i was like yeah go ahead rachel's now a writer do you know what i mean and there's so many mm. of young writers who have gone who've now been inspired by rachel and so it is like a domino's effect mm. where people go 
oh, I didn't see people who look like me there before, but now that I do, I feel like it's a space that's open. It's the same with journalism. Yeah. Like People are going, oh, there's this like influx of all these young black writers who are like, you know, they're so articulate and they're so, and it's like, no, they've existed they've all the time. They've been there the whole time. Yeah, but it's just like, no one's given them the yeah. space or the platform to express themselves. And now you've got certain platforms where they are hiring people of color. And so mm. there's a sense that, oh, there are places where you feel like you're part of a community. And so for others it feels like it's this thing that's just hitting you in the face but for us it's like no like we've just mm. been waiting for that gap in the industry it's interesting because i i don't know if it, like i was saying to you earlier before the podcast like i'm 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 very much like film tv mm-hmm. um when it comes to theater i used to go a bit when i was younger but like i just it's not something that seems that accessible for me because not that it isn't obviously it is accessible but it's something that I haven't... I, I always think, like, ticket prices, all this, and I forget that there's actually a lot of more smaller theatres dotted around everywhere. That's not just kind of this West End kind of centric area. Yeah, so if you want to experience, yeah. like... I mean, where would you kind of suggest for someone who is looking to get into theatre? But even, like, places? the big ones, like the Royal Court. Royal Court do, like, a £10 Monday um, right. deal, right? And But it's, like, really competitive, and you really <laughs> have to, like, be on the phone from, like, 9 a.m. to book those That reminds me when I bought Hamilton like, tickets. Yeah, yeah, you're lucky. Like, I still didn't get no Hamilton tickets. I waited. Like, I struggled, struggled to get I tickets. had six windows up, and I was like, I put in loads of different dates, and then I put in, like, my birthday. And this is in 2016, by the way, like, end of 2016. I put in my birthday for, like, this year. And I've got him on it, got him for me see? and my mum. And then I was like, oh, my God, it's my 30th birthday, and I'm going to see Hamilton with my mum and dad. I hope my life isn't that sad when that comes around. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to mad. It's Lin-Manuel Miranda. See, I, you know, I was not smart enough to do that. Like, I was, like, too specific about dates. And, like, so I was, like... And also, because basically with Hamilton, me... I like I got my friend who'd seen it in I don't even know what happened my friend saw it in in America and was raving about it and so then I started watching these like interviews about um, Lin Manuel and then I got obsessed with him and <laughs> at one point I was writing a musical um with um Stratford East and so like I got obsessed with musicals and so I downloaded the whole um <laughs> album on Apple Music and then my niece and nephews got into it and so like we did this whole investigation <laughs> we knew all the songs and so we were super excited I got like and there's I've got like eight nieces and nephews so I got everyone excited and so when they found out it was coming to London because of all the, like the posters on the buses and stuff um, they were like are we going to go are we going to go and I was like yeah we're going to go of course and so I was trying to get eight tickets and like <laughs> no on a specific day because my niece was turning 12 on like November the 25th and she's just like I want it on my birthday and it's opening up so I was like I gave like the promise like yeah of course I can get you tickets for your birthday oh no not realising that like yeah no and so I, I didn't get any tickets I actually I haven't listened to any of it because I just want to have that like I've actively avoided it even though it's like fills up my like Twitter and everything because I just want to have that first experience oh yeah well you're like I've made like 18 like months I with this that, yeah but I feel sorry for someone like you who's going to probably sit like next to someone like me who's going to be sitting around <laughs> like off key <laughs> to all the songs oh my god that's going to be I'm going to see Chicago next week and that's so literally going to be, be yeah, I'm like yeah, come yeah. on babe yeah. <laughs> so I I know that you some of your plays you really want to move into film and how's that process? I haven't moved into film. Well, I mean, like you want to, you want as in like you want to. Is it belong? You want to kind of adapt to make into a feature film? Is it belong or belong? No, I've already made Gone Too Far into a feature film. So Gone Too Far was a feature film that we created in two thousand and thirteen. It came out in the cinemas in two thousand and thirteen. It was a small release, um, and that was an experience in itself, but interesting. Um, How was it different from being a writer on a on a a play compared to? 
uh, on a film well, set. I had to learn to, like it was two different things. Like I remember my first draft of like my <laughs> feature film. Gosh, one day I'll put it out somewhere. <laughs> but it was literally like copy and paste of like the play, and like basically I just like in terms of like action and settings, I was like it's set on a state. Like this is a plot, and like my producers just like no like film is a visual media <laughs> like you know and also the play was so talky and it was like there's loads of debates in there and so it took me a long time to um figure out that like okay how you create a film is that the film has to be more visual and so like it's not what they say it's what they do and it's all about action and so um but at the same time because i was so close to the content of the of the play we wanted it to still be a walkie-talkie movie because there are movies where, you know, characters talk a lot. Oh God, and Aaron Sorkin. Lot, and Aaron Sorkin, like, yeah. And I was, like, at the time, so obsessed with Aaron Sorkin. And, like, <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, I'll just get them to talk, like, really, really fast. <laughs> and did you do one of those of, scenes like, where they're, like, walking down a corridor and they're yeah, talking yeah, really yeah. fast? <laughs> yeah, we did, we did. Because also, like, when I would write those scenes, they'd be, like, six pages long and my producer would be like, yeah, like, can you imagine, like, sitting there watching this, like, for six minutes, like, on the same two people? Like, this, and I was just like, no but these scenes were important like what they're saying <laughs> is important um but now I've, as i've grown as a writer like if i was to do that film again there's so much i'd do so uh, lots of things differently about the film but i still love the film for what it is because it was such an amazing experience and i got to work with an amazing director destiny Kerrigar, who oddly enough is like the third black um british um director to direct a feature film like to have a cinema feature film release like she, her after amasante like and it's like third it's in insane 2000 and like 13 at the time like and ask me if there's a fourth right now like and we're 2018 so we did our film mm. in 2013 and there's still no one that's come up after destiny i don't think wait hold on someone did i am witch so oh yeah wait did she direct she, it though i don't know she, she did direct it, it and that was at that uh, London Film Festival, which yeah, one at the yeah, end of? But is it was that considered a British she, film though? It was, it was because I it think was, it was nominated. Then, then, yeah, at she'll be, yeah. she'll be the fourth. But it's just insane, isn't it? It's kind of like, I mean, the fact that you can count it on one hand compared to the ridiculous amount of like white male film filmmakers over. I mean, it, I mean, even like this is the thing about. I, I always think it's we always have to think about it's like intersectionality. It's like, yeah, we've got like you know black black directors like Steve McQueen and everything, but. When it comes to women of colour, it's just, yeah, it's just so, so minute. Small. Yeah, it really is. And that was why, like, even recently, there was an article that I retweeted the other day about... Because I think in America, um, the for 2018-19 pilot season, um, there are 35 um, direct... There are 35 pilots that are going to be directed by um, women. And then, like, you know, everyone was like, this is so amazing, like, at least, like, there's a change. And then you read the article and you're just like, at that 35, like, three black women, three <laughs> yeah. Latino women. And yeah. you're like... They're still not equal. Like, yeah. I can't celebrate and scream. Like, it's good and it's okay. But why are we screaming and shouting about it? It's not equal. And so, like, when you get white women who kind of go, this is amazing. Like, at least we're making headway. No, you're yeah. making headway. We still aren't. And until people understand that, like, equality means equality. Like, yeah. it needs to be balanced and fair. And it needs to represent us all. There's no point in us screaming about 35% women um, and it's, like, still majority white women. Like, it, it's not fair. And, like, we have to think more inclusive like mm. and so yeah so i just get frustrated about things i like think that. you're so right because i find it i mean the thing is it's, it's about how to be an ally both within feminism and inequality that actually understanding that there everyone has their own form of privilege mm -hmm. i think completely and i think that uh, I, this defensiveness that people have um 
like, you know, a lot of, you know, not all white women, but some, there's a certain brand of white women who you can't call them out on anything because they'll say, why are you attacking me? And yeah. it's like, and it's, like it's, it's not, not. attack. Yeah. yeah. And I always say to people, like, anytime I have these conversations about privilege and people get so offended about the word privilege and be like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, listen, I understand my privileges that I come with. Like, I know that when I go to Nigeria, for example, like I've got a Nigerian passport and a British passport, right? And I feel as equally Nigerian as I do British. Mm -hmm. However, I understand that when I go to Nigeria, they don't see me as, as African enough sometimes because I don't necessarily speak the language perfectly. Mm -hmm. And people automatically be they're like, they know that you're not like from yeah. there, from there. Like they'll say certain things like, yeah, I know you're from England, like you're British or, you know. How horrible is that to feel this othering of like being like, other than in the place that you grew up in, but, but then just, also I mean, in like you understand it, so it's kind of like. But then at the same time as well, I know that like there are certain times when I've gone back to Nigeria and you know I'll go through the airport and I'm excited to have like my Nigerian passport and fit in and feel like I fit in. But there are times where things get hairy or like you know you get into a situation and like. I don't try and be more African. Like, in certain <laughs> situations, I might yeah. do. But there are times where I'm just like, no, I know I can fly back to England. Like, <laughs> yeah. I know I can, like, completely get out of this situation and bring out my British passport and whip back mm. home and go back home. That's privilege, mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm. the opportunity to be and pick and choose which side I want to play and where I fit in and, and for it to suit me. Like, there are times where... You know, there's other people that don't have that, that you know, opportunity. Like, there are times where, of course, when I go to Nigeria, I use my Nigerian passport. When I come back, I use my British passport. If I tried to ever come back to the UK on my Nigerian passport, do you know how much stress and struggle it'd be to come through the airport? Yeah. Like, and so I understand that privilege. So when I'm explaining to people to go, I even know what privilege means to me as mm. a black woman, like you should be able to understand that as a, a as a white woman and accept it and not fight against it. Like, I don't argue now with another Nigerian. Like, I've got family members who just have their Nigerian passport. Like, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we're the same when yeah. we're traveling <laughs> through airports. I totally yeah. well, no, we're not. Like, I went, we went recently um, to Morocco with my... Um, with my cousin and my mum for my mum's 65th birthday and my cousin had her Nigerian passport and she forgot to have her biometric um, oh, yeah. stamp that she's got in her passport like the pass that you mm. have with it right so she forgot to take that with her now going to Morocco no one cared like it didn't matter like they did a little phone call to the embassy it was like oh yeah she's got it it's fine go through coming back she just had a Nigerian passport. They weren't letting her fly. They were like, nope, you need that biometrics um, card for you to get through. Now, we were able to walk through the passport. All of, like, every single one of us with our British passports, we came through. We were allowed on the flight. We were allowed to come home. She had to stay in Morocco. Like, we had this whole hoo-ha where we, my sister had to go home, look for it, fly back to Morocco to give it to her. Because oh you couldn't God. even post it. You're not even allowed to post it. Like... So things like that, like, I'm not going to sit there now and have a debate with her and be like, oh, you know, we're just the same. Like, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if our passports are different. Like, you know, we're going to go through the same struggles. No, we don't. Like, our struggles are so totally different. And I realised more than ever, like, oh, my gosh, like, having an, an African passport and travelling in Africa, like, do you know how hard it is for people? Like, you have to get visas for every single country you go to. We have British passports. I don't need to get a visa to go to Morocco. I don't need to get a visa to go to South Africa. You have a Nigerian passport, you need a visa. Like, all of that, like, I understand that. So when I'm with other people who kind of go, oh, I just don't, you know, it's a burden for you to say that I'm privileged and mm. it's an offence. It's like, no, just accept it, learn from it and know how you should be an ally. Like, I know how I'm an ally to my cousin. I know how I can help fight for her battles, you know, especially through the creative industry, like how I can talk about those issues and explore 
explore those issues on film or in theatre. Whereas, like, you know, there's other people, it's just like, you don't even want to be an ally, really. Like, yeah. you just... You just, you just do lip be, service. Yeah. And also, I realised as well that people are happy with it being unfair like yeah. because it does them justice and because do recognizing your privilege and being an ally is actually maybe sacrificing it it's yeah, saying it is. it's interesting um with, for black panther there's that actress uh amanda stenberg who said that she could have had a role mm-hmm. in that and she's mixed i think she's, she's mixed race lights yeah. and she's light-skinned yeah and she actually said this would I shouldn't take this role Mm -hmm. because actually, because there's this whole colorism debate within the industry as well. It would be inauthentic for her to play a Wakandan princess. Maybe she's going for, I assume she's going for Shuri. I feel like she was going to go for Shuri, but that's brilliant. That's amazing that she would, she she would do that. And you know, when even things like when Ed, Ed Scrine gave up that role in Hellboy, I mean, come like, on, that's I know, amazing. I know, but it's like so amazing that people are just like, oh, I didn't know you could do No, you can do that. Yeah. That's like when you see certain things where people are just like, oh, you know, it's not down to the actors. No, it is because it's down to every single one of us. It's down to every us. single person like, in yeah, the industry. Because then it makes other people think twice about casting. It makes people, even like when, like, as a writer, a woman of colour who's writing scripts, I'm so specific about what every character looks like because I'm just, I get scared even. Yeah. But I'm just like, if I don't specify, there's going to be someone that's just going to basically assume that the default is white. Yeah. And so I constantly have to, even with extras, like I have to specify and be like, this extra who works in a chicken shop is either Asian or, do you know what I mean? Or yeah. black or like, I have to be so specific about who I see even within the crowd because otherwise it doesn't matter who I'm working with someone might interpret that and just be like oh okay it just means white like everybody's white it's actually a matter of fact I've been recently watching like doing a massive MCU marathon and watching all of them before oh, yeah, Avengers sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know, me and the kids are going to do that next week because it's half oh term so we're like yeah I'm get getting ready. serious yeah. fatigue actually but um you know I'm watching them in chronological order so starting with Captain America vs Avenger mm-hmm. Iron Man Iron Man 2 and it wasn't until, and I was watching it and I was like, I haven't seen a woman of color in a role that isn't a one line news reporter. Mm-hmm. The, the, it, and then one was in um, Iron Man yeah. and it was an Arab reporter. And then the second one is an Iron Man 2 and it was actually Olivia Munn playing a news reporter. It wasn't until we got to, well, I know it's technically something might have come out before then, but I got to Guardians of the Galaxy having Zoe Saldana, mm-hmm. even though she's green, <laughs> she's the first woman of colour in an yeah. actual role. And that must have been like eight movies in. Yeah. Even like now I'm watching it, I'm just like, I, I can't, yeah. I can't see anyone who looks like me or looks like someone who isn't, you or know, from her bloody like Jack an, Wills an commercial. Like, or just looks like an area. Like I find it so fascinating where you see certain shows or you see certain films and you're like, that's New York. And you're just like, I've been to New York. I know what New York looks yeah. like. Like I know what it looks like being in Manhattan because it's full of tourists. Like it's full of yeah. Like, so why don't people look diverse even in their crowd scenes? Like what mm. is going on that people just... Oh, the only time they're diverse like, is when it's on a tourist bus and they're all yeah, Asian. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. Or like when they're doing the thing where they need to do this, where they do their montage and they've got to talk about like different countries. And so like the Africans are always in their tribal outfits and like the Chinese yeah. are always in like their... Brazilians are around the TV yeah. watching the football. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, like, do you need to just like, oh, even that in itself, yeah. you're just like, really like... Have you been to Africa? Like, do you... Like, if they're all in a group, they do it. Oh, it just gets on my nerves. Like, 
I remember once watching, was it Independence Day? And they did that, you know, like oh, the last yeah. scene in Independence Day. So like, are you taking a piss? I know. Like, really? Like today you're saying that in two thousand what was it, nineteen ninety something? It was twenty years like, ago, yeah. yeah. Like you're really gonna say that like Africa was people holding spears and like hopping up and down, like I think this is a problem as well. It's this what happens when you don't get people of colour in the back. In, yeah. the, in the back room. Yeah, in the room. Because there should, yeah. if someone, someone might be like, um, excuse me, um, probably don't do that. That's yeah, pretty that's offensive, offensive or that's pretty yeah. stereotypical. Yeah. And this is, uh, it's just it's just a mad issue. I mean, what's it been like for you then? So, I mean, I know you've said, you know, you've worked across different mediums now. Mm-hmm. And now that you've kind of looked back at that, has it, has it got easier for you now? Or are you still facing the same struggles that you were when you were kind of first night out? I mean, you think Olivia Award winning, hey, let's hire her. Like, this sounds amazing, but... No, but you know what? It's two things, right? I remember saying this just even yesterday. I was talking to because I was doing my third draft of my the feature film that I'm writing, um, and there was a part of me that was like, I've gotten better as a writer because it's not easy. So because I've constantly got to prove myself, I have to prove myself. Like, it's that thing that, you know, parents, if you're, like, from an ethnic background, like, your parents always say to you, you've got to work twice as hard. And yeah. I think that is such a true saying, and it's so true, because you've constantly got to prove yourself. So whenever I've written something or handed in the draft in, like, I'm getting scrutinised, because even also, a lot of the times people will be like, I don't understand this world, so I need you to explain it more. Like, I need you to, you know, there were, I always get told by producers who go, there are going to be readers who look like me, so if I don't get it, like, you need to convince me. So I'd spend more time, like, in my description, like, describing characters or describing, like, types and, like, you know, going into more detail. And so I've learned, because I get scrutinised so much and because I'm constantly jumping through hoops, that oddly enough has made me a better writer because I I then study so much like I'm like okay I've got to write this script okay what are the best scripts or best tv shows or whatever that's similar to the themes that I'm writing okay like what are they doing that I might not have been doing so let me go and read and so like I'll read so much like before I even start writing like I'll read certain subjects I'll read certain themes like I'll have all this wealth of information before I start and so because people make it harder like that has made me a better writer in one way or another. And so, and I found that out last year in particular when I wrote, so in TV, I've been trying to get TV off the ground for years. Like as soon as I finished like writing plays, um, in 2009, 10, I'd been having meetings with like TV um, companies and like producers and stuff for television and pitching ideas and pitching ideas. But like, I never ever even get past the treatment stage. Like I get rejected at treatment. Like they don't even give me the opportunity to like write a script. Like it's literally like this idea is not going to work. Um, you know, write five pages of this idea, describe the world, write 30 pages, like all these different like kind of Like spec scripts like, or something. Not even spec scripts, like treatment. So a treatment is kind of like the outline of what the mm. story would be, right? And so I'd spend ages, like sometimes a year, two years, like trying to refine those ideas. And then like those producers will either be like, oh, it's not going to work. Or it will go to like the BBC or Channel 4 and they'll be like, this story's not going to work. We're not going to like, you know, do the development or whatever. And do they pay you Um, at all for like the time that you put in? I mean, no, not really. I mean, you get paid, certain companies get paid, you get paid for treatment. But it's like literally like it's between like £500 and like £2,000. Like £2,000 over two years. Like really, like that's nothing. so so I've spent years writing treatments after treatments after treatments right Um, and then it was only in 2015-16 having a meeting with Sky um, Cameron Roach at Sky and 
you know, what he did great that's so different to any other commissioner I've ever met was he was like, this is what Sky does. This is the remit. This is what we are, and this is what we're looking for. Your show has to basically um, tick these five boxes. Like, if you can come up with an idea that's both entertaining, that does this, that, you know, that's global, that does, he gave you like a list of things and he goes, go away and think about it. If you can come back with an idea that satisfies that, then come back with that idea and pitch that idea, right? And so I wrote a one pager, and this is how you know that this is how the industry works because. I've written pages, I've written 30 pages documents, I've written 60 pages documents on an idea, right? And with Cameron, I wrote a one-pager idea about Pastor Elizabeth, and he was just like, I get the world that you're trying to sell to me. I don't know it. I've never been to any of these mega churches. I've seen them. I don't know, you know, I've never met people that actually go there. However, the idea fits these five boxes, we'd like to commission a, um, a treatment. I mean, not a treatment, a pilot, like wow. you'd like to do. So it was the first time I got commissioned a pilot. And so then the pressure was on, cause I was like, oh my God, like I've got to the next stage now. Like finally, like I'm at the next stage. However, at that, and then, so I took my time writing that pilot because again, the pressures of like, I've never got here before. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm here, it has to be good. Like I have to prove myself. And so after I wrote that pilot, it's the first time people reading that pilot and oddly enough like you'll get people go oh, I didn't know that you were such a good writer like not, <laughs> not Sky or anything but, like all the production yeah. company that I'm working with but other producers who've read it and like going or saying to my agent things like like oh we didn't even know that she had that in her like who's giving me the opportunity yeah, to show yeah. myself like no one's ever like as a writer I should be developing ideas and developing scripts like you can't there's nobody in the world that can say that they get an idea based off of a treatment and that treatments are what sells ideas. Yeah. It's not. Treatments don't. Treatments are good outlines. They're good blueprints, but they're still not a script. They don't have dialogue. They're not, you know, like, yeah. it's not the best document for you to showcase yourself as a writer. And so, um, yeah, it's the first time where people now have this kind of like, oh my God, like, oh, she can write television. Like, oh, we, like, we know that she can write. Like, this is amazing. And the other day I was thinking about it and I was like, are people, is it because their expectations of me are so low that like that I've surpassed it because they didn't expect it? Or is it like, because it's a good script and people Mm. think it's a good script? Like sometimes I'm like, I'm not quite sure. But then there was also a part of me that's just like, I don't care if people's expectations of me are low because then all all I have to do is just prove them wrong. Like it doesn't matter. Like if you underestimate me, then it's, it's just on you. It's not on me. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like, like, um, I think it was Lena Waif who didn't, you know, she did that amazing, um, Vanity Fair cover, mm-hmm. which is just amazing. I thought such a good first cover for Adika Jones. But she said in it, people, you know, after her massive success with like the tube, being in Masters None, she said that the the people who'd said no to her and wouldn't give her a meeting, um, like calling her up and they're like, want to work with her. It's like, and they basically said, she took the meetings just to say, no, you're not going to work with me. Yeah. But I tell you what I will do. I'll put you in touch with these writers and you're going to work with them. Yeah. Because the fact is, you didn't give me a chance. But now and I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah, you've got an opportunity yeah. to listen to to uh, voices that you haven't heard before. I feel so amazing. I know, and you know, sometimes I'm like, it definitely is the rites of passage. Like the in- this is how the industry works. Like you'll meet loads of like you know 
actors and writers and directors who always go, there were there's so many, there's more people in the industry that will say that they don't believe in you. And it just takes that one person to see some sort of raw talent. And it's the same with me when I started out as a writer. Mm. I remember like Dominic Cook, who was the artistic director of the Royal Court at the time, who said, like, my play was riddled with spelling mistakes. Like even <laughs> now, like you see my Twitter feed, like Oh my god, I, I have know, so but, many like, spelling mistakes. Commas, like spelling mistakes. And like, when people like, you know, the spelling um, police come along and they're the grammar police, I'm just like I write how I talk. Like, oh, man, I give a shit. Like, I just don't, like, yeah. Like, even when I write scripts, like, I have to give it to my sister to read it and, like, look for the spelling mistakes because otherwise I just don't see them. Mm. So, like, that, but that's not my focus. And I remember, like, Dominic reading it and going, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm really sorry, like, about all the spelling mistakes. Like, I really didn't see it. And he was just like, I wasn't looking for that. Like, I was looking for your voice. And uh, your voice it came through the pages so strongly that it didn't matter that mm. the spelling was off, like, what does it matter that yeah, spelling's who cares? Like, Spell who check. Cares? Like, yeah, like someone's gonna get it right. Like yeah. someone's gonna type up that script. Like the actors are gonna sit in rehearsal and fix that. Like that's not what's important. He's just like the people who are looking for the grammar and the correct grammar and the correct are not looking for the right things. And yeah. so sometimes, and if they're focusing happens, on that, they're not actually interested in. They're looking for an excuse. Yeah, I think. And also, it but, the, the, but the industry is full of people who are not looking for the thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they're not looking for the thing that's gonna be the thing and i know like and it's like yeah. what is the thing but the they're thing looking for the like, thing that's like something else yeah and the, and the thing is sometimes that thing is about how is about changing our perception and changing the way that people view things and and being a different voice and because people aren't looking for that authentic different voice they're constantly looking for the same and so when you walk in being a black woman and you're like and you don't look like everybody else who's mm. walked into a room they're just like no you're definitely not it like you're not the, you're not the thing that's going to bring us that thing that we want like and in the uk we're so afraid of going first like america is so competitive like they want to be the first they want to be like we discovered you like we are the one like they love mm. all of that here it's like oh someone else has to do it and then we'll jump on the bandwagon and yeah. we'll look for it like no one here is willing to be the first to take that risk and to you know that big risk mm. in the uk we're just too scared of that like we're too kind of like in you know it's all that politeness of like oh uh, like oh we're gonna do like the same old um you know whatever those oh we'll do another John Lacar we'll do Agatha Christie yeah you know pick a book that's not written by a white person please this writer he's written like a hundred BBC dramas we know that we can get like a million views and like oh we'll just stick with that like why can't you take the risk on the person that could possibly give you 10 million but also what's mad is that people take risks like look at the people like directors who have done like nothing but then given like you know what is it Josh Trank I mean, the Fantastic Four was a terrible movie, but he'd only done, like, Chronicle. And then he got to do Fantastic Four. That bombed. But then he got given Star Wars to do. It's like, I mean, they're not doing it anymore. But, like, it's mad that you can have, like, that much... But it happens to men and it doesn't happen to women. It's like, we're constantly... But also, it's because, like... We're even we're afraid. We're afraid to put our names forward for certain things because you're just like, oh, I know I'm not gonna get that yet. Like I've still got to prove myself. Like I can't, I can't go up for this job because people are not gonna. And also, yeah. and it's an industry thing. Like it's literally the amount of times where I've gone up for certain things and people have been like, oh, but she doesn't have a TV credit yet. 
So like, you yeah. know, or we how do you get your them. first credit if we you can't... don't get it? Like, but it's, it's like, mad. But it's it's catch twenty two. Like how it was for actors. Like, yeah. there's that whole kind of like before you can be on spotlight for people to see you, you need to have gotten a job. And before yeah. you get a job, you need to be on spotlight. And so like that's what why um, Femi Ogun's like identity was so important and so crucial, and did the the thing that nobody else did in terms of like finding that raw talent that were great and amazing, like John, like Malachi, like Zach, like Adelio, like all those people. The reasons why they were able to do that was because there was other people that weren't willing to take on clients and put those clients on. Mm. Like there were so many. Like identity came along, and how is it over the years has become one of the biggest um, agencies for actors. Because they were doing what everybody else wasn't doing. It's just so important that we have that. I mean, and we need more of it. We need more we totally kind do, of initiatives. Yeah. Um, so um, I've had you here for so long. Thank you so no, much for chatting. I talked for forever and ever. Oh, I know. Yeah. One time I did, a, I was recording one. It ended up being two hours. I was like, how am I going to edit this? So I was like, I need to like get a cuff point. But thank you so much. Thank I'm really excited me. to see your episode of Riviera and see what oh you've got gosh. coming up. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, no, it should be fine. And um, it's been fun working on it because it's not, it's not my um show so it's really interesting kind of coming on board onto a project that's like i haven't had anything to do it's with like this. sky like, i feel yeah. like it's gonna you're gonna go on to like big things after that i'm so glad you chatted to me thank first you. remember me yes, when you're at the emmys <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you. you so much for listening guys um see you next time bye thank you